Welcome to Therapy Tuesday, a podcast by Smashboard where we try to unpack, contextualize and understand what it's like to live with psychological health issues. Today, we're going to discuss suicide and suicidality, a concern that most people usually tiptoe around when the conversation comes to the surface. Topics discussed on today's podcast could be triggering for some folks. So if you feel like you are in an emotionally vulnerable state or would like to tune out, now would be the time to do so. So when I started doing clinical work, one of the concerns that I was always terrified of addressing or felt very unprepared to work with was suicide. Um, the practices I trained at, the practices I worked with had a little more of a structure on how they would do it. So they would hand me a form that had a list of questions that assessed for ideation, intent, plan, and action. And I was supposed to walk in to meet these really emotionally vulnerable people going through their own significant health concerns and ask them these questions and then come up with a conclusion of what was the risk for suicide. Of course, there were a host of discussions on what else we're looking for, how to engage in this qualitatively. But I felt like the more I was doing this from a form-based perspective, the more devoid I was becoming of empathy. I didn't feel like I was really listening to them because I was so scared about this conversation around death and around someone wanting to end their life. So they would tell me about how they felt really tired, how they wanted the feeling to go away, how they wanted to disappear. And my brain would just blast these alarms off of like, this person's high risk, this person's high risk, when they weren't. When what I think they were mostly trying to look for was for a safe space for their pain to exist. And a reflection of how anxious I felt in that moment was my own stuff. It had nothing to do with them at all. And through all of this training and all of this understanding, what I realized through a breakthrough was the way in which we talk about suicide or the lack of conversation around it from a healthy perspective plays such a big role in how we stigmatize it. And the stigma is so damaging because it further contributes to the shaming when it comes to mental health concerns. One of the other things I learned is that when someone owns up to having suicidal ideation, when they open up about their pain from that space of vulnerability um, about wanting to end their life, more often than not, they're looking for help. They're looking for a space that could validate their pain that someone could exist with it. And it wasn't something that was characterized by so much shame, something they weren't supposed to talk about, something they weren't supposed to feel at all. And often what people receive is shutting down. It's about why are you thinking this way? Why do you want to end your life? Think about your parents. Think about your family. Oh my God, the amount of times I have heard that. And I'm here to tell you that none of that helps. We're only contributing to more shame by blaming them for how they feel. The truth is that suicidality, risk for suicide, completed suicides, all of these are a public health concern. Sometimes it's caused by psychological health factors, emotional health factors, physical health factors. Other times they're also caused by environmental factors, financial distress, systemic injustice, intergenerational trauma. There are so many causes for suicide, especially in a country like India, that we need to recognize that this is an important thing that has to be addressed. 
in the clinical setting, some of the things that I've noticed when people have come to this point is that they've reached a point of exhaustion. And then the concern we're trying to address is the exhaustion by normalizing that how they feel about it as a consequence of it is okay, it's normal, and that it can be worked through. Also, I think we need to recognize that denying this is a problem or not paying attention to it or making this a very individualized thing is not working. I think the pandemic, the lockdown, and all the circumstantial stressors that we've seen in this year have contributed to a large number of suicides. I think we've also seen is that the discourse around suicide can be dangerously damaging. Case in point being the Sushant Singh Rajput death by suicide case, where the media and the larger discourse had such an incredible opportunity to normalize conversations around mental health, to talk about systemically on a government level, on a larger organizational level, on a systemic level, what kind of changes can be implemented to prevent suicide. How can parents talk to their children? How can we talk to each other? How do we talk to each other? What is it that we're doing wrong? How do we make medication accessible? How do we make interventions accessible in a country and a cultural context where resources are so less? What we instead, from a systemic lens, ended up focusing on was a drug battle, was a TRP battle, was opportunistic ways in which different channels were trying to capitalize suicide that only damaged and worsened the ways in which the larger South Asian context talks about mental health. It normalized parents scolding their children for feeling the way they do and telling them this doesn't exist. It normalized calling people weak. It normalized, it normalized how parents can scold people for how they feel. It normalized how it's difficult to talk to someone about your difficulties, about your stressors, about having significant mental health concerns. It increased shame around medication and it just worsened everything. We realistically can't afford that. And while a lot of us have the best intentions at heart and want to be there for people, it's a heavy weight to sit with. So I think we also need to recognize what we're committing to. Because if you say, I'm here to talk and you can't be there, you can't handle what they're saying, you can't sit with that kind of pain, there's also risk of that making things worse. The factors that they might also report that may be causing some of their suicidal ideation don't have to be things that you agree or disagree with. If it's institutionalized discrimination, it's financial distress, violence in the house, different factors that you can't add two and two with of like, why would it cause for someone to feel that way? It doesn't matter what you think. It's important to validate. It's important to sit with it because you saying this doesn't exist or this is not how things need to be or you can feel better and things like that is not making that problem go away. It's not making that pain go away. When someone passes away due to suicide, we see a barrage of messages and Facebook status updates and tweets and everything of like my DMs are open and you can talk to me and things like that. If you are one of those people, think about Whenever there is a death by suicide that happens, we see a host of different people putting out tweets and Facebook messages um, and Instagram updates and everything about how they're here and their DMs are open and you can text them to talk. I'm not sure that is entirely effective because if someone wanted to DM and talk to you about something like this and felt safe enough to do it, they would have done it already. I think what can help instead 
is to put out validating messages about pain. It is in furthering the discourse around suicide. It is in normalizing, talking about mental health concerns, talking about discrimination, instead of putting out those messages about how you're here to talk, how your DMs are open and things like that. What can help is in normalizing the dialogue around mental health distress, in furthering information about an institutionalized discrimination and systemic distress that causes people to be pushed to that point altogether. It's in being receptive, in listening. Those actions speak louder than a copy-pasted message of how you're here and your DMs are available to talk. If you feel like one of your loved ones isn't doing too well, here are some things that you can just keep an eye out for. If they report hopelessness, if they report feeling hopeless about their life, their job, their existence, their education, their relationships and things like that, that's usually a telltale sign. See what their energy levels look like. Are they eating? Are they sleeping? Are there any different patterns in their communication that don't seem okay? More importantly, ask. Ask them how they're feeling. Check in. Let them know that you're available. And if they wanted to reach out, that they could reach out. That's not from a copy-pasted DM. This is someone you have an interpersonal relationship with. And being active in their care, being collaborative with them, those actions speak larger volumes and foster safety for someone to reach out if they don't feel okay. I think it's important to also normalize conversations within our immediate circles about how if therapy is accessible, it can be useful and that you can help them find someone. If they need to see a psychiatrist, that you'll help them research and take them to someone if necessary. Being present, being present with that pain is instrumental. We've also noticed that a lot of these contexts and um, situations can be very gendered, where men tend to die by suicide, often with more lethal methods, because they're hoping to complete. And it becomes more difficult for them to also talk about their distress and concern because of how masculinity has conditioned them, because of this larger burden of not looking weak. And in situations like that, with folks like that, self-disclosure can be useful. Opening up about your concerns, what helped, what didn't help. Whether you sought treatment from a clinical perspective or whether this is something that your own personal coping skills helped you with. Normalizing the existence of pain starts making it a little less threatening to acknowledge. And this is how we become a part of someone's support system. This is how we help them recognize what some of their triggers could be. And for folks listening right now who feel like their emotional well-being isn't doing too great, that they've felt suicidal ideation before, that there could be risk to their lives, think about your everyday first. Think about what your appetite feels like now. What is sleep looking right? Has social isolation something that's begun? Are you noticing rapid mood instabilities? Is it becoming difficult to get through each day? And I'm not talking about the capitalist sense of functioning that's about work and productivity and things like that. Getting out of bed can be really difficult. Or suddenly, the romanticization of death and suicide that we often do because it feels a little more freeing from our pain can feel a lot closer and a lot more anxiety-provoking. Those are all telltale signs. And that might be a good idea to look at your support system to see who you can reach out to. And if you've experienced suicidal ideation before and you've recovered from it, there are factors of resiliency. There are factors within you that have helped. 
there are some coping tools that you've put in place that have been useful. Because if you made it this far, something you're doing is most definitely working. That can be a difficult piece of hope to latch onto, but that's based in reality. That's fact. If you experienced suicidal ideation when you were 16, 17, and you're still alive, something you did worked. On a final note, as we end this podcast, I definitely want to say this. It's a tough year this year. It's also a tough world and it keeps getting tougher. The new cycle is difficult. Social media makes things worse often. Our interpersonal difficulties are also existent. Our internal issues, our physical health issues, our mental health issues, all of these exist. These are all factors that can drive us to a point of wanting to end our lives. How you feel is normal. It's absolutely valid. It is not a reflection of how you're feeling, how you're bad at what you do, how you can't handle life. Often when it comes to these like high-strung capitalist productivity, motivational space, um, motivational speaker spaces will try to bog us down by saying that there is something we're doing that's wrong and that's not working. That's not true. If you made it alive today, something you're doing is absolutely working. It's okay to need a little more assistance. It's okay to need a little more help. And while we can recognize that the kind of help that we might absolutely need in that moment might not be very accessible, it doesn't mean that we don't deserve it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is Therapy Tuesday with Ruchita.